Weir's World, the All Ears podcast, in association with Hoppy's Dry Suit Services, keeping you dry in the wet stuff. For more information, search Hoppy's Dry Suit Services on Facebook. Welcome to Weir's World, the All Ears podcast, which will take you on a roller coaster journey around the world. Follow me from Beijing to New York City and back as I share my tales to tell, encompassing the 10 years of Gliadric and the Kabbalistic Cavalry, as well as touring with some well known faces. From celebrity stories to travel nightmares, We'll be reminiscing on the ridiculousness of it all, with special guests jumping in along the way. All Ears is your new favourite weekly podcast. Hello. Hello. <coughs> hello. <Hi. laughs> oh, that was, a, that was a very deep hello as well. Hello. 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 Oh, will it help if I go higher? Hello. Are you able to just like imitate me and you tonight? Oh, well, that that could be the difference. I could speak really high for me, but speak really low for you. <laughs> that sounds a wee bit of a sex, sexy voice. Come here. I, I thought normally I'd I'd cut in with the old Aberdonian twang that they just gets louder and higher and faster, but I, yeah. I can't really contribute to that this evening. And why is that? Well, I meant to be on voice rest first of all, but mm-hmm. yeah, my yeah. Uh, my throat's not the best, sir. It's uh, falling to bits here. It does sound awful. We should point out to the to the podcast masses as well that it's not COVID. Um, our weekend, what about it, was, I mean, mm. it was the best weekend that we have had po- probably since this podcast started. Oh, yeah, by far. It was very emotional as well. It was, it was very emo- emotional, hugely emotional. And, um, and not because I'd lost my voice. <laughs> no, no, people were crying over that. Oh my god! <laughs> no, it was nice to see uh, some of the guys again after fifteen long, terrible months. Yeah, I mean, we we had our day filming you and I for yep. the, the BBC the social content that we're working on, and yep. uh, and then to see the guys and have some beers and dinner, and mm. actually get in a studio and do some practice and put together some new pieces as well, and then. Oh, it was just, it was a brilliant, brilliant day, like a, a really nice Saturday. Not, not to mention the fact that you and I were plotting yet more projects. Oh, so many. Like, why? I always think this. Why can we not just finish one before starting another? We've, we always start one and then we start planning another four. Yeah. Well, I think we have a bit of a problem, potentially. Like, it's a bit of a Well, <laughs> we've definitely got problems, but. What would you call it? I mean, it's not, it's not alcoholism or whatever, but it's uh, projectism. Projectism, it could be, yeah. Stupidity could be another word for it. Would you say projectism or projectism? Pro- project. Well, I, w- I would say project. So it would be projectism. 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 I wonder mm. if that's a word. Um, Do you remember about 30 episodes ago we'd done that? Is it yogurt or yogurt? Remember that? Uh, nah. Those, um, those were the good days. Apparently ha- hashtag pro- projectism is a thing. But is I, it? Hmm. Uh, projectism is it a uh, word uh you know it's not coming up no um, i have so. to say uh, <laughs> as much, uh, we are laughing about the fact that my voice is like a you know I, actually someone said to me this week oh it's like the idea of you you're like you're like an elephant but you're like an elephant with the voice of a mouse and i was like because this is my voice a lot better and i was mm. like I, I thought that's a lovely analogy. Like, thanks for first of all calling me an elephant, mm. but their, their their notion was it was a child, by the way, a young child. Um, right. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking it was like a colleague or something. 
that child saying, you know, mm. like uh, you're like an, the size of an elephant but with the voice of a mouse. I thought that was uh, that was lovely. Never work yeah. with children. I think that's what they say. Never work with children. As much as my voice is uh, horrendous, mm. I am genuinely meant to be on voice rest because we've spoken about this a fair bit. Tomorrow, I am London bound for Scotland versus England at the Euros uh, and mm. have a number of different things going on for that. Not least the fact that, believe it or not, with this noise, I am meant to be singing tomorrow afternoon. I mean, it should be noted that you're supposed to be on voice rest. And although we've only been recording this for a few minutes, we have been on Zoom to each other for over an hour now. Yeah, but again, project, hashtag projectism. Hashtag projectism. Or projectism, depending where you are. So we, we spoke about, you know, the fact that last weekend was one of the best weekends we've had in a long time. Yeah. Um, and for me, this weekend uh, is going to be one of the greatest as well. Undoubtedly, even like even regardless of what the, the, the score is going to be, and by the time that this podcast goes out, we'll all know that Scotland won 3-2 against yeah. England. Or... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, we'll edit that. We all know that Scotland lost, obviously, 4-1 against England and, and popped out the tournament. I think we should use a Fred McCauley line that he used a few weeks ago. It was never offside. I cannot believe that decision by the referee. I didn't believe it. Like Ridiculous. Do you know, I was watching, I, I thought about Fred this evening because, obviously, we're watching the Euros uh, as we speak. Mm. And uh, as, as Kevin the Joiner went running past. <laughs> the yeah, the, when he scored, the, the commentator said, De Bruyne, and I was like, oh, the Joiner. Kevin the Joiner. <laughs> um, it's also funny to, to note that as we, as we watched the, um, the game featuring Kevin, Kevin the Joiner, mm. that one of our future guests was also mm. involved this evening. Mm. And... Maybe a hint, bit hint. Too much. hint, hint. I mean, if if we don't manage to pull that one off now. Yeah, I mean, Lukaku is obviously going to be our next guest. Um, yeah, well, that's obvious. Do we do we do we just go through the whole two teams? Any fa- any celebrities in the stands? Any any like team like management members and just obviously, um, Kevin the Kevin De Bruyne is going to be our next guest. I mean, yeah, obviously Telemans is going to be our next guest. Um, so that's a lot of names to be fair after after watching the Scotland game the other night uh, we're definitely never inviting David Marshall on that's for sure <laughs> why is that what a huge mistake that was <laughs> all of a sudden wanting to be a midfielder I love I love the all the memes about the idea of I've not been that far out of my box since the pubs closed the first time <laughs> I saw one that said uh, I can see the screen it's much bigger from here or something like that <laughs> Here's hoping we get a better result tomorrow. But yeah. obviously, we, we spoke about how um, last weekend for us was great and how this weekend for me is going to be great. Mm. Um, it should have been great for the band, but it's going to be great for me uh, in general. Mm-hmm. But actually, a couple of weekends ago, or, a, or within the last couple of weeks, you managed to get um, a bit of a taste of sound work for the mm. first time in a little while. And yeah. it's... Um, by complete coincidence, on the evening that I'm meant to be on um, voice rest, we are pretty much dedicating this episode to you, Mr. Ogilvy. Mm. Um, so for, for one night only, we've gone from Weir's World to Ogilvy's Aura. Um, and- <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about that. I'm, I'm glad we're going with Weir's World for the title of this podcast, because that, that's a totally different vibe altogether. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here uh, looking at the, the potential script for this evening, mm. and, uh, and I'm, I'm desperate to mention the stories. But the, the, the section of the of the script which says stories we can't mention. 
Yeah. Mm. There's a lot of them, actually. I was thinking about this earlier on because obviously I wrote down three there. On although we, although this isn't scripted, we always say this. We we don't script any of this, but we have our wee sort of note to each other that helps us along. So it's obviously stories we've mentioned before, where just by coincidence we've been at same events, um, or things that we've done together over the years. But there's loads. Of, loads of, there are many. Of there's, there are many. There's, there's very. There's a lot of them. But there is stuff that stories that I've told you before that are just hilarious or really uh, out of this world that we purely cannot mention, mostly for legal reasons, I think. So um, the three that I gave you was Justin Bieber when he was at the Hydro and can't mention that one. Um, (laughs) Or when Adele was at the Hydro. Are you actually going to put a beep over each of these? Yeah, I am. Yeah. So, pe- so basically, I I can sporadically through the episode, uh, like throughout the episode, go. You can, but that's just going to be one big long beep. <laughs> that's all that is. I see. I'll maybe just get rid of it all. I'll delete it all. It'll just be stories we can't mention. That's it. End of that section. Um, uh, Adele, when she was at the hydro, and uh. So, can't really talk about that. Uh, we mentioned Jerry Cinnamon a few. I never told you this one. Jerry Cinnamon a few a wee while ago. Mm. I've I've got a few friends or know of people who have worked with him. Apparently, okay. Um, so shouldn't mention that. Is that is that a professional term? Yes, it is. Yeah. And and that and that wasn't that wasn't in a non-disclosure agreement. <laughs> no, no, that's just someone's opinion that we probably shouldn't share. Um, part of the palace. Well, Deacon Blue were setting up. Uh, you know, they were headlining, so we were putting stuff on the stage in front of, like, thousands of people. Was it someone that you knew, or was it someone, like, yeah. from... Yeah, no, I, I knew who it was. I knew of him before. What um, I really want to know, though, is, like, when, in that situation, when that happened, did you manage to retain your dignity? Yay! <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I wonder how many references we'll get in on this episode, like that. That's good. Oh, baby, I like baby. Oh. <laughs> this is a dreadful episode. <laughs> this is horrendous. Just plan this. Just chuck this in the bin. Yeah. Anyway, that's stuff we can't mention. Can't talk about that whatsoever. So I suppose we better look at... Um, this is a bit of a mad one, isn't it? Because I'm technically interviewing it's, you. It's weird, yeah. actually. I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> um, so I suppose we need to mention stories that we can't actually talk about as opposed to having yeah. a huge section of, no, nah, we can't speak about that yeah. or that or this. It'd or be a, a whole episode of beeps. That would be awful. Yeah. It's shocking because to be honest with you, I've gone fairly controversial on the podcast, but we'll not talk about that. That's okay. Yeah. Stories that we can mention. Um, hmm. Obviously, um, one of my favourites today is the, is, the, is the Jake Shears one, by the way. That's an absolute <laughs> Um But... I know that you've been involved in a, a bunch of different things going on at the VNA, and obviously we spoke previously on an episode about, for example, um, how we'd both been at that event in Perth when, uh, when the Queen was coming uh, coming to the coming to Scotland to visit there. Um, what are your memories of you know those experiences, those times? Um, do you know what? When you sort of do them, it's a bit mental because it's always they're very long days. They can be. Um, there's a few that we're going to talk about where it is long days, but but it's quite incredible when you come around to them because you are working with people who 
uh, you know, members of the public would give their right arm to be in the vicinity of, but yet we are saying to people, you know, remember and speak into microphone properly, remember and do this, blah, blah, blah. And you're always doing them like the Queen one, for example, you're always just nervous because you think, if I don't put this microphone on at the right time, it's everyone notices. And that's the a thing about like sound for events and things like that is nobody should ever notice or know about your job. If somebody does, it's probably because it's gone wrong most of the time. That's a fair point. Um, so to it's be, an interesting perspective as well, actually. It is. And it's, you don't really think about it. Like, obviously, I think about it a lot of time because I'm involved in that. But if you didn't have, and we've mentioned this before in the podcast, if you didn't have the, the hundreds of people who do this day in, day out, you wouldn't have anything. If you didn't have the lighting guys, you wouldn't be able to see them. If you didn't have the sound guys, you wouldn't be able to hear them. And that goes right down to those who basically feed people and transport people. Liam Gallagher doesn't jump in a car and drive himself to gig to gig to gig every time. No. You know, he, he's got armies of people who help him. Having said that, what's the what's the lad in Iron Maiden? One of the one of the guys in Iron Maiden, they've got a private jet and he flies it. Uh yeah, I can't remember his name, but Iron Maiden bought a Boeing 747, a jumbo jet yeah. that was coming to the end of its life, and it's the Iron Maiden jumbo jet. Um, right. and he yeah exactly like you say he he is the pilot for <laughs> for his own band taking the jumbo jet to every gig it's a bit well, mental the thing is right do you think the boys would trust me to fly a jumbo jet after a gig no i mean no 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 offense but we don't trust you to drive your own car after a gig <laughs> <laughs> who do you think i mean i think the answer is obvious who would be the most trusted pilot in the band oh it would be ross oh yeah I, oh yeah yeah no, no doubt about it. It's Ross all day long. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I'm, glad, I'm glad we've established that. That's fair yeah. enough. <laughs> I'm possibly bottom of that list, or perhaps Paul, because physically we'll never be able to be a pilot. That's so, very true. When we went out for dinner last week, he didn't realise till 30 minutes in that I was sat opposite him because he couldn't see me. <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, I probably would still end up below him on that list of people who would be trusted to fly. Yeah, we'd rather trust the guy that can't see to drive the plane. <laughs> Drive the plane, fly the plane. You know he can't see in 3D, which is just a ridiculous concept. Yeah, I don't understand that, because surely everything's in 3D. Not for him, evidently. Like, I don't know, that doesn't make sense. Anyway, yeah, we've, we've, we've digressed already. It's gone well. <laughs> I suppose the question is, um, to go right back to the start of it all, how did you get into sound engineering? What was it that triggered that um, passion for you initially and where did it, where did it come from and, and and how old were you because obviously you've done it for us since we were at school yeah well it kind of goes right back to high school and it's a funny kind of way that it came about I was playing rugby in high school and then I got injured and I kind of rugby was my passion and then I stopped doing that and my girlfriend at the time her family were involved in the local theatre club and doing pantos and stuff like that and then her oh no they won hey we'll add that to the list of references we're getting in um but her her mum was directing a panto and i was and they were looking for somebody just to like help with the lighting and stuff so i went along and done the week of show and i was like you know what i actually really enjoyed that and then a few months later uh the guy the local musical society in kunusti was like you know i need a hand do you fancy it so March 2007, I think it was, I'd done my first show 
um, which was doing the lighting. And then I ended up doing a, quite, a, quite a bit for Canoosey Musical Society, so shout out to them. And then uh, it just kind of kept going. So I ended up doing stuff at the high school, doing school stuff when, I was, when we were at high school. At level 8 with Mr. Bell, which we've mentioned a few times as well. And then uh, there was a local dance group, um, and they end, I ended up doing a lot of stuff for them, more or less from... Dancing? You, you were doing the dancing? Yeah, I'd, I'd done the dancing personally. You know, I was teaching it and everything like that. It was good. We, we didn't manage to convey that to Rachel McLagan uh, the other week, but yeah, you were doing funnily, that. Funnily enough, didn't mention it to a world <laughs> champion dancer. Interestingly, uh, our good friend Chris Chris Brown sent me a, a message this week, having listened to um, the the episode with with Rachel. Uh-huh. And, he, and to quote, we were particularly interested towards the end when Rachel spoke about costuming, and um, oh, yeah. i.e. the catsuit section, and we agreed <laughs> that Ali would look great in a black Siri catsuit with puce pumps and a red rose in his cleavage. I mean, they say this now, but they will they will regret getting a photo of that at some point. <laughs> I, if I ever go to their house, I want to see that, like, on the kitchen, on the fridge or something like that, that exact photo. We, we are digressing again. Um, yeah, but, sorry. <laughs> uh, Angus Centre for Performing Arts. Yeah, so I ended up doing a lot of stuff for them, and that kind of started around about the same time, 2007, 2008-ish. Um, and right up until COVID, I'd done every single one of their shows which was, it was really good fun, actually. Um, And the Forbes family, who I was very close with uh, for a long time, um, shout out to them as well, done a lot of work for them. So it was good. So that was kind of how it came about. It was all local groups um, who were needing lighting, sound, things like that. So before I was 16, it was more of a hobby. And then the minute I turned 16, that was me off and away actually working. So that's kind of... That became your career for a good chunk, is it? Yeah, and it was the same at high school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, the only thing I ever really wanted to do was be a firefighter. Podcasting. But I podcasting. I wanted to be a podcast. Oh, oh you ever really podcaster. wanted to be a podcast? Pretty much. And that dream came true just last year. <laughs> Sorry. Carry on. Spent, I've, I've spent 27 years chasing my dream of being a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. Um, Sorry. Um, all you ever really wanted to do was... Yes, yeah. yeah. All, all I ever wanted to do was be a firefighter, and I knew that was extremely difficult to get into. So I kind of I left school not knowing what I wanted to do, and then that became, at first, a sort of part-time career. Um, so sort of 2009-ish, uh, I was doing a lot of part-time work. Uh, and then one of the big events that I remember doing, first of all, was the Scottish Car of the Year Awards, which was cool because it was like a formal award ceremony but there would always be some elaborate way to reveal the car so i remember one of them in glasgow uh this i think it was like a range rover or something was brought up inside a lift and it was kept in the lift the whole time till that point in the words that they go the car of the year is the range rover and sure enough this person just drives a range rover like centimeters away from scraping it inside this lift so i remember that was one of the the first biggest events that i'd done back in 2009 but then round about that time was when our sort of local biggish theater in our growth they kind of they were looking for somebody so i ended up doing a lot of work with them and i remember that's sort of the webster theater yeah the webster theater in our growth and i remember i spent a good few years there and the, one of the first people um big names that i ever remember meeting 
was Jim Davidson, a mm. uh, famous comedian. And he is quite atrocious now, actually. But he came into the venue, and it's well documented, actually, to be fair, his sort of attitudes towards it. But I was setting things up. I was doing sound and the lights and things. And uh, he came in. And he, the way the venue is laid out, those that are wheelchair-bound have to be in the front row. And he had said to me, oh, there's wheelchairs in the front row. And I said, yeah, that's where they've got to be, fire escape stuff and things like that. And he turned to me and he said, I'm not doing my show if there's wheelchairs in the front row. And I was like, well, Mr. Davidson, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's way above me. Like, I can't make that decision. Like, said that to you? Yeah. So here's me that... Is that the way you addressed him? I'm sorry, Mr. Davidson. Yeah. Uh, I was I kind of, I was young and re- you always respect these people um, to start with. So I was like, it's, it's not me. Like, it's way above my pay grade. I'm going to have to speak to the, the theatre manager. So I, I went and got her and says, look, Jim Davidson's refusing to do his show, which, is, by the way, is in about two hours' time, sold out because there's wheelchairs in the front row. And that's where they've got to be. So she had to come down and just say to him, like, there's, there's nothing we can do. But his act is like that. He's quite crude and quite crass and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So he was genuinely quite annoyed and upset about it. Um, but eventually she managed to convince him that, that, that it was okay. And I remember my respect for him just like dropped so much because I was like, yeah. I remember, I remember seeing you on the telly as a youngster and this is, this is what you're like, like as a person. And then he walked on, started his set and everyone was going fine. I was doing the, the lights and sound or whatever. And his first line of the whole show was mentioning that there was folk in wheelchairs in the front row. That's but of course, yeah, that is how he opened the show was mentioning that thing. And of course, People are there to see him and know what he's like. So everyone laughs at it and thinks it's funny. But I'm thinking he's actually genuinely serious. Like this isn't part of his routine. He's actually serious right now, but people know that's what his comedy is. So that for me, it was kind of, it was like a huge eye opener. Cause I was like, you know, you have to respect these people, but sometimes their beliefs aren't, aren't huge, aren't respected at all. So it was a that was a real eye opener, and it, I loved my time at the Webster. But I remember one time we had a, a tribute band in as well. I think it was Johnny Cash or something like that. There was a lot of tribute acts, and but you know it's not them. It's not it's not Elvis Presley because well he's dead. Um, so we had a Johnny Cash tribute, and they were due to arrive at like two o'clock in the afternoon. Their sound check was three. Show was half seven or something. So at two o'clock, they hadn't arrived yet. Three o'clock hadn't arrived yet. And it got to about four o'clock. And I was a wee bit worried. I was like, you know, there's only like three hours and they're not here yet. So they phoned the venue and said, just to let you know, we've got two vans and one of them is broken down on the motorway um, with all the kit in it. And I was like, okay, so what's going on? And they said, well, we're still south of Glasgow. So... We don't know what we're going to do. So I was like, well, we've got some stuff here. We can maybe try and make it work. So at six o'clock, the artists arrived yeah. with, with no sound kit whatsoever. And I was like, you know, we don't have the stuff that you guys carry. 
So we somehow had to pull off. I don't know how we did in the end, but I went from seeing a show coming in. They've got everything and they've got a crew. They've got everyone they need. They're totally sorted. I was just going to operate some lights to, I ended up mixing the sound for them with as much stuff as we could possibly pull together. And I think the audience were only delayed by half an hour. Um, and uh, how, how we pulled that off, I'll yeah. never know. So it's just like, it was a crazy time. Um, <laughs> when it, when it, it's actually terrible to look at it. One of the funniest things I ever saw was that moment where I kind of have this thing of just minutes before a show, I get really nervous. Like regardless of what the show is, I'm thinking more or less. Yeah. I'm thinking, what have, what have I not done? What if I go to put something, unmute something, press something, and it's not plugged in, just things like that. So yeah. I was kind of, you know, I know we've spoken about like the, our pre gig routine when it's a Gladric show. And, yeah. You know, the feelings, like especially a big one. Yeah. You know, like a hometown, big hometown headliner or BB Kings in New York or that. And, yeah. And that panic for for us from behind the stage and you at the front of the stage and yeah, yeah. You, it's is it's it's still nerve wracking in a way. Like you always just wonder there's maybe something I've, I've missed out. But I remember there was once where I was in the the we sort of control room at the theater in the in our both, and out of nowhere, I just out the by pure chance at the corner of my eye, I looked to see a shoe go flying right over the top of the balcony and hit somebody, hear the sound of it, hit somebody down below in the aisle and everything like that. And I was like, what the hell's just happened? So I went out to find a woman had fallen all the way down the stairs and her shoe went flying over and she, I think she ended up breaking a leg or breaking an ankle or something. So then that show was delayed because I was busy like phoning for an ambulance and all that stuff. But like not long after that, I think it was a few months later, we were doing the get out for a, a panto and we had a, a, an Arctic lorry came up and we were loading stuff in and the driver of the lorry was standing on this ramp between the the theatre and the, the lorry as we're putting stuff in. Yeah. And as somebody pushed something into the lorry, he took a step back off the ramp and you could hear the sound of his head crack off the concrete. Uh, it was a drop of about six feet probably, something like that, five, six feet. And he was out completely, like totally passed out. And I was like, oh, man, seriously? All right, okay. So Muggins over here ended up phoning ambulance again and all this stuff. And eventually they arrived. And the paramedics were like, so what happened? I said, he's out completely. Like he's totally out cold. And he has been for quite some time now. So they're putting him in the ambulance and things like that. And they said to me, do you know, like, has he got a mobile phone? Do you know his emergency contact is? And I was like, no, he's literally driven up. Like, I don't know who he is. But what I'll do is I'll jump in the front of the lorry, grab his mobile phone and see if I can phone, like, his wife or something like that. So I opened the front door of the, of the truck to see this woman sitting there in the in the passenger seat. And I was like, oh, hello, who are you? And she goes, oh, I'm, I'm the driver's wife. Why? Is everyone all right? And I was like, oh your husband's been passed out for the last half hour and he's in that ambulance parked over there. And she went, oh, I did see the ambulance. I wondered what that was about. So I ended up working a lot later that night and I was leaving the venue and I was sending two texts at the same time, one to the theater manager who sent me a text saying, "Uh, what time are you in tomorrow? And one from my girlfriend at the time saying, what time are you going to be home? Yeah. And I got them completely mixed up and I ended up texting 
the theater manager. I'll be home. I'll be home in about half an hour. Love you. <laughs> kiss, kiss, kiss. And I was like, it wasn't until about 20 minutes later, I looked at my phone again and the theater manager replied saying, okay, get home safe. Um, love you too? Question mark. And I was like, oh no, I'm so sorry. That wasn't for you. I do apologize. But it was a lot of ups and downs at the Webster. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and that was kind of my first taste of a, of working in a venue, all sure. the, this, the same venue all the time, which was good fun, actually. Yeah. And, and obviously the Webster Theatre have a lot of really good acts coming through and like, mm. and a real mixed programme of like, as you said, dance, theatre, yeah. comedians, musicians. So there's a real mixed bag for you to kind of cut your mustard in and get to, get to find your way around a, a venue, as, as you said. Yeah. Um, but then obviously you went on to to work at Perth Concert Hall and have a, a similar kind of and be a similar kind of resident engineer of sorts. Um, yeah. Not to be offensive to the Webster Theatre, which is a fantastic venue. Perth, Perth Concert Hall is renowned as one of the top venues in the country. Yeah. And, um, that obviously brought you a whole load of different experiences to work with. I guess another jump up in terms of national and international talent yeah so tell us some stories about working yeah the the Perth concert hall was again a great place to work and there I kind of felt like I'd learned what I needed to and I needed to move on to something bigger and things so I spent a wee bit of time at the Perth concert hall um and during that time I was there um you know we had like some Biffy Clyro came in one night and I heard just a legendary Scottish band. Um, but we had then everyone from them to, once we had Morrissey, he came in and he's a, a well-known vegetarian. It's, I, I was about to say is probably the most like polite PC way to say that, but I don't know if there's a un-PC or unpolite way to say vegetarian. I'm sure. Don't know. But he's, he's a, a vegetarian or a vegan. He's one of them. And yeah, part, don't, don't confuse those two things, by the way. I don't oh, think- no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to say vegetarian. I'll stick to that. Um, so every big act that comes in, things like that, and we act, they're the same. They'll send a rider in advance of things they wish, things they want and things. And we have, we try and give them as much as we can because it's them that are coming to us. So we'll provide what everyone. What did you ask for? Uh, can't say. <laughs> can't tell you. Still can't tell you. <laughs> Keep trying though. I'll maybe give in eventually. Um, so I remember on Morrissey's one uh, was that because he's quite proud vegetarian and quite rightly so, was there's to be no meat in the venue at all during his stay, which meant that that went throughout the venue to including the crew. So we were not allowed to bring any meat in for our lunch. So for example, I would always nip out to shops for my lunch, grab a sandwich, come back. And I was told you cannot have any meat. You're not allowed ham sandwich. You're not allowed anything like that because he supports vegetarianism. I thought, all right, well, that's that's fair. But at what stage do you get to the point where you can say, I'm deciding what you're having to eat? Yeah. But again, that's like next level stuff. That's they're entitled to it because they're they're here for the day. Um, yeah, I should try that next time we next time we have a gig. Like, what would you say though? What would be your most ridiculous request? Well, coleslaw is minging. <laughs> coleslaw. So if I just said something like you know, but that's not. But but people, 
we insist on a coleslaw for his own. But people, that's not like a huge thing. It's not like people go about like a coleslaw sandwich or something. Or... Carrots. Now, Ross would tell you about that. So, like, ca- carrots and coleslaw. Mm. Abs- carrots and coleslaw. Absolutely no carrots. Absolutely no coleslaw. Cream eggs are acceptable. Yeah. Well, have you still got plenty of them, by the way? I'm out as of last night. Oh, oh that's, that's not good. It's been a anyway. tough week. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, no, no. No voice, no cream eggs. What no a week. Fun. What a ba- what a bad time to be alive. <laughs> um so yeah, we had sort of like two different scales, and then it's such a busy place for music, one day comedy and things like that. So I remember my one of my two favorite comedians that we had at the time. One was Jimmy Carr, who everyone knows, but he's like surprisingly a lot skinnier in person than you think. Like, I remember uh, speaking to him and I said, again, that respect thing. I was like, Mr. Carr, my name's Ali. I'll be doing your sound tonight. And he's like, yeah, cool, no problem. I just need a microphone. Showed him where it was, blah, blah, blah. And the whole time I was thinking, you're a lot skinnier than you look on the TV. A lot skinnier. And then, like, the polar opposite. Well, (laughs) that's a bit harsh. I shouldn't say that because weight-wise, maybe not. But we had Greg Davies. Uh, famous comedian, teacher, and in betweeners, who is absolutely huge. I think he's like six foot seven or something like that. And same thing again. I was like, Mr. Davies, my name's Ali. I'll be doing the sound. And I was just like looking up to him the whole time, like, Jesus, you're such a huge guy. Um, when I first started out, like in the webster, I was like, oh, it's so cool meeting these people. And I got to that stage where I was like, you know, the amount of people that I could potentially meet, I'll try and get photos. But then I kind of got to that point with like so Jimmy Carr and Greg Davies. I was like, they must get it so many, so often, all the time, that I was kind of like, I want to res- respect them and what they do. So I kind of, that was around about the time I stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of try to get photos with them. Um. So we we would go from that, and then I remember we had the the UK tour. So the Perth concert on Perth Theatre sort of linked together, and the Perth Theatre was shut at the time. So we had the UK tour. Blood Brothers came in which was, again, just a huge thing because I started off doing theatre, first of all. So to have a UK touring show came in. And that was mental because we had something like 24 hours to unload and set up three trucks worth of theatre stuff, basically. And uh, that involved laying a whole wooden stage and then building the set on top of that. And I think I was doing the shift from like 11pm till 5am of just unloading trucks and setting stuff up. But it's just like a totally different scale when you get to that. And it's like, it's absolutely brilliant. And I still love it to this day, even though I'm like 10 years older than I was then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not as young now. Um, but yeah, I absolutely loved the Perth concert. I was so busy and and the time there was great as well and got to see some really cool things and meet really cool people. So it was good fun. It was great. But the, the period that immediately followed the, the Perth Concert Hall wasn't so rosy for you, was it? Because you, you felt pretty ill for a while. Yeah, so that was kind of, I think it was about October time or maybe it was the summer. But um, I'm not sure if I've mentioned it on the podcast before. But oh, I felt yeah. I fell ill with, uh, with Crohn's disease, which is, it's not as well known as I think. It's maybe known to me now because I know what it is, but... But I lost something like three stone in two weeks with it and just ended up so ill. And I was in nine wells for 15 days and things. And I remember them saying, you know, 
on like a Friday when they found out what it was after so many tests and stuff. They were sort of like, you know, if you haven't improved by Monday morning, you're like 80% of your bowel basically is getting taken out. And I was sort of like, it got me really down because for years I kind of left school and went to work in busy places. And then I was like, it kind of felt like it all came crashing down because, because of something that I couldn't do anything about. Um, so I kind of, I was off ill for quite a long time, quite a few months actually. And then I sort of ended up back at the bottom trying to find my feet again. And uh, I spent a wee bit of time at the Dundee Rep. I'd done a show for them um, and then ended up working freelance, which essentially you, you just, companies will contact you and you can work whenever you can. But it wasn't a steady thing, um, which I wasn't a fan of. You know, there's no guarantees and things. So it was a bit difficult to to come crashing down and start all over again. Uh, eventually, I, I kind of I felt like I needed to do something a bit more other than freelancing because I don't know. I guess it's just human nature took over, and I was like, you know, I need to do something more steady other than potentially not working for a week or working for a week. So it took me a long time to kind of get healthy again and get back on my feet and try and recover from. Yeah, yeah. From losing weight. Now, these days, I wish I could lose three stone in two weeks, but that's COVID weight, I suppose. <laughs> so you, you, you've gone from embodying Jimmy Carr to Greg Davies, have you? Yeah, I, th- I feel like I'm sort of progressing. As I get older, I'm swaying more towards Greg than Jimmy, yeah. I think is probably. the Yeah. So, so that's so we'll, we'll just call that the Carr to Davies scale from now on, will we? Yeah, that's what we'll do. Yeah, Where are you on that scale, do you think? Well, I think I... <laughs> I've gone the opposite way during COVID. I've gone, mm. I've gone full on Davies to Car. Yeah, <laughs> you've um, gone, the, you've gone the opposite way. We've kind of crossed each other on the cycle. For <laughs> I, um, I, I don't remember waving to you as we crossed each other, but maybe we did. Nor do I. No. We can't see in three D as well. Yeah, um, it's, it's ironic that. Uh, no, <laughs> I have most definitely lost a fair chunk of weight and toned up a lot during pandemic. To quote. Harry Nicholsby, one of our former guests, mm. when I saw him last fairly recently, he uh, his analogy was that during this pandemic, we've all become a chunk, a hunk, or a drunk. <laughs> so you'd say you're hunk? I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a hunk, but I've gone more in the hunk direction. Mm. See, I think, I think when the pandemic started, I was swaying towards drunk, and then maybe now chunk. <laughs> thanks Harry for that shout out to Harry <laughs> um, so freelancing like obviously it's not as steady and it's not as reliable perhaps as like working for a company full time or working for a venue full time but you still had a, like some great opportunities to work with some pretty well known acts and musicians yeah and it was <clears throat> that was one of the good things was sort of getting to decide when and where you could work and sort of what events you wanted to work on, where you wanted to go with it. Um, to this day, I always wonder if I stuck with that, what I would have done. Um, and I guess it's one of these things you'll never know. You'll never know now. Um, but having seen the way the events industries went because of COVID, I'm kind of glad that I didn't stick with it because a lot of my friends now are sort of out of work and have been for well over a year now. Um, yeah. So it's it's quite a... It's a blessing in disguise, I think, that I, I didn't stick with that. Um, but then when I sort of 
I was lucky and fortunate enough that one of the the companies I worked for a few companies, but one of them um, that I was freelancing for um, ended up using me quite a fair bit, which was great. Um, and that was like sort of our local sound company, if you like, uh, Apex Acoustics, and that was kind of the next step for me, which was great. Yeah. So that was sort of end uh, middle of. 2014 I think it was um, and I was there quite a bit and I was helping out and uh, Paul who runs Apex sort of said you know I've got a position do you want to come full time and that was just a few years after falling ill and I was sort of like you know this is my opportunity of what I've wanted what I've worked for for years so I, I felt really lucky and straight away accepted it as soon as I could. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and as I said, obviously, like when you were freelance, you still had the opportunity to work with lots of great, lots of great musicians and performers. And obviously Apex are very well renowned still um, mm-hmm. in being one of the, not just premier sound companies in Dundee, but actually across the country. Um, mm-hmm. So tell us about some of the experiences that you had working with, with Apex and as, and as a freelancer. Yeah, so when I was, um, <clears throat> that was kind of a, a great time because you know, they were doing a lot of theater stuff and I was a huge theater fan. Um, and we sort of, we were taking it when I came on, we were sort of going different ways as well. And I remember one of the very first uh, acts that I'd done was in St. Andrews and it was Tinchy Strider. Do you remember him? Yeah, of course. Tinchy Strider. And I, at that time he was huge. So I was kind of like, Oh, this is really cool. Uh, working for him. Um, and it was great to, I think at the time when he walked on stage, I just happened to be on the stage checking something anyway. And he kind of walked right past me. And it was a similar sort of thing. You know, Jimmy Carr was like really thin. Greg Davies was huge. Tinchy Strider, he's really small. He's a very small man. He's a very small man. He's a very small man. So that was quite surprising. Um, <clears throat> but during, during the time I was at Apex, um, there was sort of a, a wee personal thing that my brother who was serving in Afghanistan at the time basically got blown up um, yeah. and that was it was quite a hard time but the support that Paul and the rest of the guys at Apex uh, gave me was just incredible um, I remember I was mixing up a, uh, a show um, back to the 80s was the show and I was in the office at about five o'clock at night and I had a phone call from my dad. So I went outside to take it. And he was like, just like, you know, your brother has been blown up in Afghanistan. And I was sort of like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, you know, he's getting flown home. We're away to drive down to Birmingham. Like this is all happening. Um, Human instinct. My first reaction was, yeah, but you know, I've got a show in two hours time, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like I couldn't process it. Um, And I just said to him, look, you know, I've got a show to do. Um, I'll look after the dog you go do what you need to do I'll go do my show um, and I think it was maybe my way of coping just by a wee bit of normality I guess but I, I didn't realise I know now but huge credit to like, say, Paul and the guys because my dad had phoned Paul beforehand and said look this has happened it, just want to make sure everyone will be alright and Paul was like well I'm not actually in Dundee I can't help him but what I'll do is I'll get two guys to go to the show and they'll be there in case anything happens, in case he needs to get away. So I remember, funnily enough, going to the show 
and the first person I saw in the venue was your sister, was Rachel. <laughs> and I walked in. She wasn't working the desk, was she? <laughs> she wasn't, no. I can't remember what part she was playing. She was playing a part anyway. She was there. And I walked in and she could tell something was up just by the way I walked in my face and she went, is everyone all right? And I said, no, no, my, my brother's been blown up in Afghanistan. And she was just like, what? Like totally confused about why I was at the show. Um, but it was so strange that, that that was the coincidence that it was your sister was there. Yeah. It was so weird. So I was just, I went and mixed the show and I remember at the interval thinking, that's probably one of the best shows I've ever mixed in my entire life because I don't know if I was just concentrating more or what. Um, but then sure enough, at the interval, I went and checked everyone was all right. And sure enough, here's the two guys that Paul promised would be there to see the whole show. And they were both like, you know, do you need anything? Do you want us to take over? And I was like, no, nah, no, everyone's going all right. I'll just stick with it. I'll just keep mixing the show. And to this day, I still think it's the best show I've ever mixed, ever best ever theatre show I've mixed. So credit where credit's due, you know, the support that Paul and all the guys gave at that time was was quite incredible. And then I remember a few months later, we had a, a show in, funnily enough, back in the webs again, with Norman Bowman, who's a, a well-known theatre star. Yeah. And he kind of knew about my brother and things like that and knew the story behind and uh, I think my mum and dad were maybe there as well but Norman sang a song from Les Mis called Bring Him Home and oh, right, be- right before he sung that song he dedicated it to my brother and to my family and everything like that and it was such a, a moving piece oh, that yeah. it's, it's I, anyway but wow yeah it's an incredible piece of music and I don't remember ever really getting upset about my brother at all. Um, but again, it's just probably the way I coped. But I remember standing at the side of the stage, Norman Bowman uh, saying those words, singing that song. And I got about halfway through and I just burst into tears. And that was when it hit me that, that that's what was, was happening. So it was quite a, quite a memorable moment, actually. Um, so again, credit to to Paul and Norman Bowman for things like that. But that was sort of, that was the early stages of it. And then we went on to do uh, like the Top Loader in Montrose, uh, another incredible band, you've worked with them. We it's funny, it's, it's funny because Top Loader keep cropping up hmm. because I supported them in 2019 mm-hmm. at Belgium. We've spoken about that and we're going to talk a bit more about the experience of supporting Top Loader. And then the band are now playing on the same bill, like Gleadric are now playing on the same bill as Top Loader at Capers and Canach in August, Scotland's yeah. first social distance music festival, which is exciting for us. And then I was, on the, I was on a call to Charlie last night and it's one of the first things she mentioned because obviously Gail, um, yeah. Gail Porter, who was a previous guest of ours, um, dated and married... Um, one of the members of Top Loader. Yeah. Um, and obviously you've also worked with them. So somehow yeah. they keep cropping up at the minute. It's so weird. That is really yeah. weird. Small world. We had a, a joke with, when we knew we were doing Top Loader. We had this joke that we kind of always said that, oh, they've got that song Dancing in the Moonlight. And um, uh, um, and nobody, <laughs> nobody could name the other song. So we just assumed 
they would walk on, do dancing in the moonlight, and they'd go, thank you, thank you, Montrose. And this is, uh, poor, I don't know, this is dancing in the moonlight again. And they would just be like two hours of playing the same song over and over. We didn't realise they had such a huge catalogue of music in the end. So again, Top Loader was, was quite cool to, to work with. Um, we went to, I'd done my first ever gig in the Playhouse in Edinburgh during my time with Apex as well, which was really cool because that sort of any huge theatre touring shows are going to go there if you ever see any in Scotland. So we done Colm Wilkinson, who was one of the original Les Mis members as well. So I remember standing at the side of stage and I was quite excited that he was he was more or less right in front of me. But I kind of got like that a few times um, when I was at Apex. I got really excited. Like when we've mentioned Montreux uh, Jazz Festival before as well. And with Team Green Day and Randy Crawford and things. And then the next night was the editors. They were uh, on the main sort of arena bit. And the person who was mixing the sound knew we were sound engineers and said, do you want to sit beside me while the show's happening? And we were like, yeah. So we were sat kind of, I got a really cool photo of, of us sat, like this gig's happening and we're just sat right beside the sound person just watching the editors on the main stage. Um, but one of the, the funniest ones we had, and I've still got the photo of this as well, was me and Paul were flying down to London one time from Dundee. And that's like the only place you can go to when you fly from Dundee is like London. That's about it. It's a very small plane. Yeah. And when you check yeah. in it, when you check in at Dundee, it's the same person. She'll check you in and then she runs through and she throws on the security jacket, zips up and puts you through security. And then she runs through and puts on the, the duty-free jacket and then she, she changes, <laughs> changes every time. I think she flies the plane as well. So we, were, we went on this wee tiny plane. Literally, there's only about 10 seats or something. We sat down and Lorraine Kelly was on the other side of the aisle with her Beats headphones in. And we were like, we got a really funny photo of Paul just being like, that's Lorraine Kelly next to, next to us. Um, it was such a, a strange thing. But like things, talking about getting excited, we done uh, one event, the Anne Summers catalogue launch. We'd done, we'd done a few of them. And we didn't necessarily get excited by the Anne Summers catalogue launch. But... Did you know? The, Did but, you know? Not me personally, but the launch party that it was for, all its members or whatever, they got very excited. And we weren't allowed to sit in. We would set it up and we would just be milling about. We wouldn't be in the room. We'd be on standby just in case they needed anything. And I remember one of the times I was the one on standby, so I was kind of milling about. And they'd do this big launch. So they're like, we've got this new product. And you can only hear things. You can't see anything. So the woman's going, we've got this new prod product. And then you just hear, and you hear <laughs> a room full of middle-aged women go, ooh. <laughs> so that was, it was a weird one to do that. But there was one time where they kind of tour the country and the woman said to me, oh, we need a cable. We're going to Ireland next. We need this cable. And I was like, well, what to do is take it with you. When you go back to the office in London, just put it in an envelope and just send it up to Dundee and I'll get it back. She went, okay, no problem. So sure enough, she went to Ireland, used it. She got back to London. She sent it up to me. So I sent her a text message saying, got the cable, hope everyone went fine, Ali. And she sent a text message back saying, got the cable. 
Um, if ever you're, thank you very much. If ever you're in London, get in touch, and I'll make sure that Anne Summers girls show our appreciation for you. And I was like, huh, right. Is it worth noting that you've got a very good friend who's uh, who, who runs a podcast with you, who's actually heading to London tomorrow? Um, mm. Is it worth noting that? I don't know. I mean, I maybe would if I kept that message and the woman's number. But when I when I, got, when I got a new phone, what? when I got a new phone, I had I can't remember her name. It was like Anne from Anne Summers, say for example, and just save her as Anne Summers. <laughs> yeah, but then I'd go. That can't be right. That's not her name. Um, so I never did, I ne- did you reply to that message? What no, was your reply to that message? I for a long time I was like, what do you say to that? I like I don't know what to say. And then by the time I realized, like you could say, oh yeah, no problem. I was like three months down the line. I was like, it's a bit pointless now. All over the head of a single cable. Mm-hmm. Imagine if I'd give her like ten. <laughs> Imagine what that would have done. <laughs> well, listen, the, the options are endless. <laughs> I know. Like, imagine. Uh, I probably shouldn't imagine too much. Actually, I won't imagine anymore. Thanks for an interesting. I don't even know what you'd call that. An, an interesting evening mm. worth of entertainment, si- possibly si- situation. An interesting situation. It's probably like we're trying to keep it really PC and polite on this podcast, aren't we? As ever, and of course, if there's anyone listening to this uh, to this uh, episode that thinks. I know what I would have replied to that message. I would have mm. said, "Blah blah blah." Yeah, we'd love to hear what 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 are uh, what our listeners are thinking <laughs> of that. Um, answers on a postcard. Please. Answers on a postcard, or yeah. on Twitter, or Facebook, or something. Yeah, any any way um, you can get in touch. I feel like it's. Uh, I feel like we just had a guest on, and, and it's like Ali Ogilvy. Thank you very much for joining us. On the but yeah, uh, thanks for sharing the first part of uh, obviously your your journey as a sound engineer. It's really interesting to hear the stories from the other side because I don't know, like as you said, as a sound engineer, if you're if you're talking about the sound engineer, it's usually because they've done something wrong. Yeah. Um, so like it's really interesting to hear your perspective. And of course, we've only gotten up to about 2014, so we've still got however many other years worth of stuff to catch up on. Um, yeah, so it's, it's it's actually making me feel really old. Now that I realise we've been out of school this long. Yeah. Well, there you go. Ogilvy's Aura, part two. Coming <laughs> up. That's still a terrible name. <laughs> <laughs>